calm down, Greg. It's soccer. Welcome back, everyone, to the Virtual Pubs Premier Pod. My name is Kyle, and I'm alongside Max, and we've got our Match Week 10 review episode today. And guess what, Max? We've got our – we're back to our bread and butter. Like, who cares about the goals, the score lines, and the drama? Well, we've got ourselves some good old-fashioned VAR content to talk about. <laughs> we've never talked about VAR, no. We talk about it every week, but it must be talked about until it's fixed. We're going to change the world with this podcast. Yeah, I guess what, we're going to fix it right here in the next 50 minutes or an hour or so, because me and you, we we do a lot of this together where we just sit around and we solve all the world's problems, and VAR is not um, is not alone in that. Nope, <laughs> nope. Not the easiest problem to solve, but I think we have some solutions. I mean, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mike up the referee fixes everything. Kyle? Yeah, that's all I want. I just want it to be like a little WWE action or something like that or Aussie rules football where you can just hear what the referee is talking about at all times and, and that would solve all the problems for me, I guess, because I just want to know what some of these freaking idiots are talking about <laughs> or even thinking and when they're making some of these decisions. I was listening to uh, someone talk about it. They were talking about how in rugby you can you can hear the uh, you can hear the refs talk. Um and they were like, yeah, they're so good at like using the right language and everything. And I'm like, these guys can't even get the calls right. I don't know if they're going to be using the right language on the microphone, like using the perfect, I don't know, describing everything perfectly. Like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think this, I think it's just going to cause so many more problems. It could, so- it could solve some problems, but it's like, if these guys, like, what, I'm not sure, what, what problems do you think it would, what would cause? Oh, I think the referees are just going to get absolutely harassed for things they're saying, which maybe is, is that... Is that bad if they're getting called out for saying so. really dumb things? Because uh, I was thinking, because I was thinking the same thing as you is like, well, only kind of bad things could happen if people are listening to what the referees are saying. But if the referees are just saying idiotic things or they're making idiotic decisions, because I only get really get upset with the referees when it seems like whenever you know we're we're, we're watching a game together or we're following a lot on on Twitter and social media along with the games and. Like a decision is made, and it seems like, like the internet is not usually on the same page about a lot of things. Like there's a lot of times where <laughs> there's clearly two sides to an argument, and the internet is always like right down the middle. There's some people on one side, and other people on the other side. But there's a lot of these refereeing decisions, in, especially with VAR, where it seems like everybody is on the same side, and. For some reason, we find ourselves with the one or two people that are on the other sides, and those are the men in the in the black and white stripes on the referees. I guess they yeah, don't wear black and white stripes in the Premier League, but whatever. You get my joke. In our minds, they do, as yeah. Americans. Um, no, definitely. I think I think very few times do give it an example. Liverpool and Man United fa- fans agree on something that's about one of the two teams, and I think. All across the Premier League, people are agreeing that this just isn't the best system. Um, and there's been a lot of talk this week about how the Dutch League is doing it. Is that right? Yeah. So it's the Eredivisie, I believe they call it. So it's so 
the VAR rules doesn't come from like the English FA. Not every every single country doesn't have their own ruling per se, but it's because it comes down from FIFA, I believe, right? Like it's like the FIFA mm-hmm. ruling. Like they are the one that mandates everything, and the FAs are in charge of ruling them all. And the Dutch FA just said, "Fuck you, FIFA. Like <laughs> we're doing our own thing because this is bullshit." Yeah, so they're doing that. Basically, there's a 10 centimeter grace period, basically, like a neutral zone where either player can be and it's still onside. If the attacker's, I guess, ahead of the defender. Um, and I guess it's what they're doing is they're doing you can't overturn the call on the field, which would be interesting, um, mm-hmm. just because a lot of times the refs are being told, told to keep their flags down right now. So you'd think it would allow many more goals, but I guess if they switched the system, the refs would go back to making their own judgments on it. I, I think is probably how you'd have to do it. Yeah, so I guess in in the Netherlands in the Eredivisie, they're telling the referees to just play it like you've not always done. Like the assistant referees, if they think it's offsides, raise your flag. If you don't think it's offsides, keep it down. And they're really letting VAR do its thing. Like if it, they think there's a clear and obvious error then they'll go and check it with var but other than that they're just letting the the decisions on the field play and like it were we we you mentioned the 10 centimeter ruling it's and that comes from because you're probably like oh how do you how can you tell from a review if it's 10 centimeters well if you're if you're watching the premier league if you're watching champions league we've, we've all been there where we're going through an offsides review or something like that and it's the classic thing and it's when everybody starts getting frustrated when the VAR breaks out those the 3D engineering graphic lines and they're li- trying to line up like someone's elbow or their armpit hair to the to the defender's like left big toe or something like that and they're trying to line these things perfectly up and the lines are touching and they're like well it maybe looks like the the off the the attackers like elbow is a centimeter, like a li- that line is in front of the other line. Well, they're just saying if the two lines are touching or if they're super, super close, just leave it to the, the call in the field because like this is so moronic to just like leave it up to these because it's still up to human error, like wherever you judge where the line is because a lot of the times, and we'll get into a, a couple of these rulings that happened this past weekend where these like lines don't eat, like they're still subject- subjective. Yeah, it's just, it's such a gray area, and it does seem like a better way to do it, where, hey, if the two lines are touching, there's, the attacker isn't gaining a meaningful advantage, is I think would be the best way to kind of explain it to someone. This person is, yeah, it has an advantage by two centimeters, and, you know, there's always the, every every inch counts in athletics when you're playing at this level, but I think that is going, taking that a little too far. So I think this would be a reasonable way to fix it. But do you right. think that do you think there's a world where the English FA changes the system within the middle of the year? Because I just don't think there's a world where that would be a very good decision for them. Uh, I mean, the answer would be no. But if you were to tell, like, if you were to tell me that James Milner of all men, like the honest English man, would come out and say that he thinks the game's lost and he's losing his love of of football and soccer and he doesn't understand the rules anymore and he thinks things needed to be changed. If you, if you told me that that man would be speaking out, then I guess anything could happen at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I can't think of like just going back in the, you know, five or 10 years, I've watched a lot of soccer and paid a lot of attention to it. 
and maybe it's just getting easier because players are so active on social media, but I don't remember ever, and maybe it's, I don't I can't tell if it's just happened with Liverpool because I paid most attention to them, but players very actively speaking out against these things, um, like rule changes and things in the game. Like, I, I don't know if you can think of anything recently, but I definitely could not. Um, is it just Liverpool players or is it other teams players as well? And I just don't see it. Um, I think you're just not seeing it um, because I know um, specifically just this past match week, um, not match week 10, but match week nine, um, Kevin De Bruyne was very vocal in saying that he doesn't even know the rules anymore. He like, and I, and Jordan Henderson quoted Kevin De Bruyne on like with it because Man City had a late goal chopped off. Um, it was with the, I don't know if you remember when, um, like Gabriel Jesus, the ball like came to him in the box and it kind of bounced up and hit his arm slash armpit slash chest area. He controlled it and then put it into the net and they called it a handball. And Kevin De Bruyne's like, I, I, I don't even know the rules anymore at this point. Like if it does, because he's like, I thought if it was above the armpit, you're fine. And it's like, and they still called it a handball. So I, I think there's um, a lot of people just, I think it is. It's still the marquee players. Like you're not really seeing a lot of like Aston Villa or Sheffield United players because they're just getting shellacked every single week. But <laughs> I guess it is a little bit more of the spoiled players that are speaking out. But uh, nonetheless, like people are speaking out more than ever about how like they they're like how they just hate this VAR stuff. Yeah, it's terrible. That's enough about VAR. Yeah, well, I mean, like, let's get into a couple of the the specific instances that kind of controlled this controlled this match week, and it brings us to our first game of the match week, which was, of course, our our Liverpool Reds. They were they were playing against uh, Brighton. This game finishes up one one, but it kind of got off to a pretty crazy start, where we see our young guy, our young right back, who was replacing Trent, he was uh, Nico Williams. He brings someone down the box really early into the game. And and um, our guy, Mope, he steps up. And did you see this penalty, this penalty try? This is like one of the most classic athlete moves that you can, t- you can pull. Wait, tries to look off the goalie like six times. Looks Successfully looks off the goalie and misses the net. <laughs> and then the most classic thing ever, he... He like pretends that he's injured, and that's the reason why he misses the penalty. Like, you just I can't script that. that stuff enough. You... <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, that is like if that is the textbook thing to do. Like if you if you do something that's embarrassing, you see it all the time in every single professional sport. Like if a if you're in the NFL and you if you're a wide receiver and um and you miss like a wide up and pass, you look at your hands, you pre- you pretend like you're injured or something. And if you're in if you're in the Premier League and if you miss the goal on a penalty you're a professional soccer player and you're 12 yards away on a free goal and you can't hit the target you have to pretend that you're injured because there's no way you can hold yourself to any sort of respect by missing a shot hey if kevin de bruyne can do it anybody can do it right that's right yeah Yeah, but this was this was an interesting game that challenge was terrible from neko williams who's looked pretty solid for coming in as a a young player replacing a, a really vital, um, almost veteran player on our team now, Trent. He's, what, been in the team solidly for three or four years now. 
Um, I mean, yeah, not not easy to replace somebody who literally just a season prior wasn't uh, voted into the World Eleven. It was yeah. the best right back in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I think he's done a pretty solid job. It hasn't made any big mistakes, but this is definitely one where I think he got caught up in the moment, made a terrible challenge, gave a penalty, but he got bailed out for uh, an injured player taking the PK. Yeah. Yeah. Like, bless my pay. Like, God forbid. Like, he <laughs> like should have taken himself off before if he got injured. Yeah. <laughs> But um, not too. No, but I mean, momentum quickly changed after that missed penalty. As and I guess we don't have to spend too much time on it since we just babbled on for about ten minutes there on VAR. Sala gets a through ball, and it's the classic thing where he puts it into the net, of course. And you got to bring out the VAR lines. You got to bring out those engineering tools. Bring out the line that lines up Sala's elbow to the defender's shoe, and the lines were touching, and they just. They decided it's offsides. I don't know. In my eyes, like you can make a ju- like you can make an argument that Sala's line was in front, but it's like there was no advantage to the position Sala was in. And I think that was a great point that you made that there was like when you the lines were literally touching of where they are. There's no advantage to that whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll be honest. When I first saw the when I was watching and I saw this happen, he looked pretty offsides to me. Like I think it would have been a an example of when the ref may have put up the flag um, if we were switching rule sets. Um, but it was actually much closer than I, than I thought it was um, after watching the replay. Yeah, I actually re- agree completely on that when I saw the replay because I, I, uh, I looked away for a second and I, and I queued back into when they were doing the lines and, like they, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to give this an offside. Look how close this is. But when I saw it um, on the replay, I was like, he looks like a couple of yards offsides on first glance. Yeah. It's hard when the, like the players offsides with so far away. And I think that's what, that's what VAR was supposed to come in and solve that those decisions are really hard to make when the, um, particularly when the ref is on the side, like it's, it's the ref and then Mo Salah and then the defender, because he's going to naturally not be able to see quite where the defender is as easy. Where if it was mm-hmm. ref defender, Mo Salah, then it'd be really easy to tell. Um, so this is what VAR was supposed to come in and fix, and I I guess it did. It, like I think technically he was in front, maybe he is offsides, but I think it definitely is a little frustrating. Um, but we can rely on our young man Jota to come in and score goals, like he just has been so consistently. It's just what an incredible how good, pickup. How we good is he? Like he is so good. He's so good. It's unbelievable. Yes, yes, it's amazing. Unbelievable, and it's like, and it's one of those things too that it it just goes down to the brilliance of Michael Edwards, our director of football, because nobody like, even as like someone like me, especially where like I spend hours and hours upon end during the transfer windows is staring at my phone and refreshing Twitter to see if there's any new transfer windows out there concerning Liverpool and who's the next player we're going to be getting. And I didn't, I would even have a sniff that we were interested in Jota until the day that we signed him, quite frankly. Yeah, I didn't really know what to think about it either, but I, you know, I, I didn't know too much about him. I knew he was pretty solid. Um, yeah, but to come into a like team, he didn't and... even really start consistently for Wolves. Yeah, so it's like, okay, we're we getting like this role player slash. He's pretty good, like good with both feet. Like can maybe be a good presser. Um, I mean, oh, um, oh. realistically, we were just hoping for somebody to be a, a better super sub than Divacarigi. Mm-hmm. We got it. We got it. We we have we found our yeah. improvement. 
Um, yeah. Well, do we want to talk about what talk about the la- the the penalty for them in the last minute? Yeah, I mean, it's just so tough, man. Like, I've, I mean, I've, I've, so this game finishes up one one, and uh, Liverpool are kind of dominating the whole game. Like, they yeah, they have a few chances like on their end, whatever. It's always that's what happens during a game, but no clear cut chances where you've you've really felt like they deserved a goal. I felt like, but um, besides obviously the missed penalty, and then in stoppage time they go down. There's like a loose ball in the box. Robertson goes to kick it. He kind of nicks Danny Welbeck's foot. They call it a pen. I mean, it's just really one of those tough things where even the Brighton players are saying that they thought it was a weak penalty and and some even thought it wasn't a penalty. And it's just like one of those things where it's like you really feel hard done by if you're a Liverpool supporter like us. Yeah, it just seems like if they looked at – the game would be so weird and different if they looked at every play around the field and picked up on all those and then – to have it exactly. happen just in the last minute, and yes, I mean, like, granted, Robertson went to kick the ball. He missed the ball. He kicked Danny Welbeck. That it, like literally is what happened. Correct? He may have kicked yeah. the ball after he kicked Danny. I mean, he he definitely kicked him, but it was just kind of like so soft and weird, and it's just tough when it's, I don't know, when it's deciding games and with how tight the season is this year. I mean, it's going to happen to every team, but it just feels when it's your team, it just feels a little extra salty. I think. I mean, and it's it's also one of those things where you said, like, if they looked at it every single time there was a, like, contact like that around, around the field. But even when there's contact like that in the box, because there were, I, I, I think Jordan Henderson was the one to bring it up. Like, and he's usually not someone to talk about, like, go on about refereeing mistakes. He said that, and it's true, I was, uh, we are, we'll get into this game in, in a bit, but like, the Southampton United game, there was multiple instances because I bet um, for Manchester United to score a penalty. And there was multiple chances that I even saw myself when I was watching the game live where Marcus Rashford's in the box and and his feet and legs are getting like tapped and stuff. Like people are like, there's contact in the box. Like, what do you, what do you expect? And it's just like one of those things where it's just one of those unlucky decisions that go against you. And if it was something that like happened on the field initially, like if the referee saw it and he's like, all right, penalty, and there wasn't any VAR decision, I, would, I could feel a little bit better about that because you're like, okay, the referee had a, like had an um, initial reaction to it and he called it a pen, but it was something that was let go. And then like they went back to VAR and called it a pen. So just another one of those things where like when you combine this with the Everton decision – and a couple other things that go along this year, you just start to feel really hard done by as a Liverpool fan, especially. Yeah, I think the only thing to take away is Liverpool is still playing pretty well, particularly defensively, even with the injuries that we have. So, you know, it feels like we're going to drop some points here or there. And if it's because of VAR decisions and not because we're playing terribly, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. I still have a lot of hope for, you know, our title chances, which is even bold to say now. I I'm definitely think there's a good chance we end up in the top four this year, which with our with the amount of injuries that we've had and the amount of competitions that we're in, I don't totally – I'm not too upset with that is what I should say. I know, and this was the, the year that I was going into it because, you know, the past uh, three, four years where we've been quite good, like we we've still never given like the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup a real go, where we're setting out real lineups out there, and 
like trying to win everything that's in our way. Um, I really thought this was the year that we we're going to do it, especially with the signings of Jota and Tiago and a backup left back. We have D buddy. And I mean, it's just, it just has been a shit year for injuries, especially for us Liverpool fans. Is there something to be said about how good Curtis Jones and Neko Williams have been coming into the team because they got that squad experience in those cup games though? I, I don't know if that's an argument you can make, but those are guys that did get starts in those games, and then they've had a much more fluid transition into our first team when we needed them. So I, I really like handling the cup competitions that way because of that. It's just a little mm-hmm. bit of evidence that I'm using. Um, but that's just a thought there on that as far as the uh, the cups go. I mean, and to be really fair, I, like I've and he started in the game uh, on the weekend, uh, Nathaniel Williams. Like I. I thought he was he played really well like I like I'm really enjoying seeing some of our youth being able to get opportunities more consistently with the unfortunate occurrence of these injuries and um so I I'm I don't know I I always try to look at things positively and I this could be one of those like blessings in disguise where we get all of these shit shit injuries and uh and it and I mean and it's tough to lose guys especially like Virgil van Dijk who is a Ballon d'Or contender every single year where but I mean, it, if it gives opportunities for young players in the next season or and for the next two years, we just have this stacked lineup of experienced players because everyone's had meaningful game time due to these injuries. I don't know. Could be a, a shining light on this kind of dark season of ours that we have going on so far. Truth. Truth. Well, uh, let's move on. I think like it's it's hard not to ramble on too much, especially when we're talking about the team that we support. <laughs> But um, I'm here on the Max and Kyle the podcast with yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We could just talk about Liverpool for an hour and then call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, another. I mean, it's it's a typical City performance where they just beat up on Burnley. I think it what was it? I think I saw a stat where City has beaten Burnley five nothing like the past three <laughs> uh, past three times they played each other. Um. Yeah, that hurts, especially I, I remember growing up, I had a team that was very good in our area and we played against them and we would lose by six or seven goals. And we were probably the second or third best team in our little league, but the first team was just so far and away. You come into this game, I feel like that's Burnley coming up against Man City. They're like, well, fuck. Oh, shit. Here we go again. <laughs> well, let's try not to lose too bad this game. <laughs> um, but I think you say it's a typical City performance, but it's a little atypical this year. Like, I don't know how many times they've gone out this year and beat up on a team they should beat up on. They've looked, they've looked like a lot, they've had a lot less um, firepower up top than than they typically have had in the past. The two seasons that we were, I mean, the previous two seasons when we were used to them seeing. Um, But goodness gracious, when everyone else is firing on all cylinders, Kevin O'Brien can just pull the strings of that team. And it is a beautiful thing to watch. The amount, the goals they can score by just, a few quick passes in the box and a little put away. And then you have Mares who finally catches on fire and gets a hat trick. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, when this team is going, they are scary, but it's just been very inconsistent this year. So I'm interested to see kind of what happens in the next few. Yeah. I, I, I guess I was kind of being a little bit cheeky by saying it's a typical city performance because uh, I, I was like really kind of hinting at the fact that, I think they just like right now are just beating up on poor teams like the like your Burnleys, but even that's not very true this year, I guess. Like where they just go and wall up these bad teams, and then they go and they're struggling against good teams. So where they 
don't have as easy of a time as breaking down the defense. But I was watching this game back, and I was watching especially the goal highlights and everything. It's it's like everything's going through Kevin Bruyne. Like he like when he's on his day, he is on his day. Like he like that pass to Mendy to set up that assist mm. was just great, and like this the system Mares and everything. Yeah, he is really just someone that is just world class in his position. Then there's nobody that can really replace him. Um, and yeah, I mean they they win five nothing, but then they go against they go today and they don't put up any goals against Porto. They finish zero zero in that game, and so. I don't know. They, they are really weird this season where it's like they can either break down a team and score a bunch of goals or they just can't find the back of the net to save their life. Yeah, and that almost feels like maybe a byproduct of the Pep style. You know, like some some days the passes are going to connect perfectly and everyone's touch is going to be perfectly on and then you'll go beat up on a team that you should beat up on or even beat up on a team that's also very high in the league and, and good teams. They've done it before. I've done it to Liverpool. I mean, it's happened even when we were when we had good, strong squads. Um, yeah. Well, do you think there's one position that they need to really like? If they got this, then it might be able to unlock a little bit more of their success. I can't help but thinking that a a true number nine would would do wonders for that team. Yeah, I I do agree. I don't even. I can't even off the top of my head think of like a slightly available strong number nine that could fit into that position i don't know if you had one in mind i didn't but i uh, but the next game that we we're going to talk about and like somebody and as an ex- like an example would would have been like he's not available obviously but edison Cavani, like he just somebody who knows what to do in the box and knows what to do when he's in front of goal like opening their eyes maybe in january to to another option from him yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they make any moves. I, they seem to make... They always make a lot of moves that I don't typically see coming. Like, I think they have a very particular style that they scout for, that have scouts for. Um, yeah. And they pick up extremely skilled players that can fit into their system. Um, yeah. And I think of all the positions, their number nine probably, maybe beyond the playmaker Kevin De Bruyne role, they're, I mean, who's played number nine for Pep? Messi, David Villa is he is he available? Is he knocking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what do you think about Iron? Like he was Robert Lewandowski. Did he was Robert Lewandowski on those teams? I think so. Yeah, yeah. he just has these like absolute world class players that play in these positions, and I'm and Aguero yeah. was an example of one. And when he was at his peak, not saying he's totally out of his peak, but he's so injured now. Now he is. Yeah, he is. I would he... think he's a little bit past it. That's not that's not a hot take. <laughs> Hot takes only. Um, yeah. But City looks scary when they do these things. I get a little scared. I forget how two or three years ago City would go up against any team that was outside the top six and beat them five or six nothing, and it was just frightening. You didn't even have to watch the game. You knew exactly what was going to happen. 100%. And that's what that's what makes a year like this so weird when they, like, like when they, like, finish off like a Sheffield United who has one point this season and they beat them one nothing. It's just like, mm-hmm. this was not what I'm used to with City, you know? <laughs> Love to see it. Not what I'm used to. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll go from a, kind of a, a five-goal five snooze fest with the City versus Burnley into a five-goal thriller. Ooh, that with, transition. Uh, with, Ooh. Yeah, you like this? <laughs> We're getting better by the week, babe. Getting better by the but, week here. Uh, uh, Southampton versus um, Manchester United was 
just an old kind of, like you would have thought that Alex Ferguson was standing on the touchline with the comeback that they had. <laughs> Southampton two, Manchester United three. It was just like was a great, great, great watch. Have you got a chance to like watch this one? I got the watch. I watched most of the first half and the entire second half because it was really exciting. Um, that free kick goal. Mm. I mean, who doesn't love a oh free God. kick goal? But how many how many free kicks does he have now? It's an insane amount. Like hit. Like, I was kind of shocked at first because I saw at the beginning of the season when FIFA just came out that um, that yeah, Ward-Prowse, obviously, who we're talking about, mm-hmm. he has the highest free kick accuracy stat in FIFA for the Premier League. And I was like, really, him? You would think it'd be a, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, even like some other players like Willian or somebody who takes free kicks for a couple of the, these Louise. other teams. But, yeah, that was Louise. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh but no, James Ward Prowse, he's just a magician in these dead in these free kicks. Oh, it's just beautiful to watch. Watching someone hit a ball that and just go up and over wall or around the wall. It is just so fun to watch and you just got to feel so bad for the goalie sometimes with some of these cuz they're just almost unstoppable. And I think it's even more impressive when you get to a certain standard that Ward Prowse obviously has now where teams know, okay, this if we're in this position, this guy's a weapon at free kicks. We need to be on high alert because this, this could be going in. And so I always think it's really impressive when a team knows that we have to be on extra high alert for this to go in and defend this. And even when the announcers start going and the commentators are like, oh, this is in perfect position for him. Like, <laughs> oh, he's like, this is in great position for him to score. And I was like, okay, now like he's like, he's definitely not going to score this one right. And then boom, hits it like a, like, Picture a perfect free kick for their second goal to go up to nothing. Yeah, I don't know how many more free kick goals does he need to score before they do the the messy defending the free kick where they have the guy lay down behind the wall so the wall can jump but he can't kick it under the wall. Is that how many more free kicks does he get to that step? That actually happened. That happened. It did one of his. Kick. What what was this? This was on the one he scored against United. They put someone they, below the wall. They put someone below the wall? I didn't even notice yeah. that. That's, <laughs> he's so he's on Messi level. He That's what we're hearing. There. He is on the level of Messi. Yeah, James Ward-Prowse, Lionel Messi, two of a kind. <laughs> two of a kind. But, okay, so halftime, Edison Cavani comes on. I'm not going to lie. I see them, they sub him on, and I'm like, well, I mean, I don't think this is going to do much for them. I was uh, very wrong, to say the least. Uh, no. He came in and looked. He completely changed the dynamic of the team. He looked like exactly what they needed in that moment. And he was acting like such a true number nine, which I don't think – I didn't know that he had in him, only because I haven't watched that much of him in my lifetime, just because I usually just watch him in the Champions League. Um but, I mean, for for what, the first goal, he gets a ball, plays it back, drifts wide, and then comes in, plays the ball into the middle to Fernandez, who scores a great goal. The ball in was perfect. I mean, it was just such a good – he seemed to be almost pulling the strings a little bit from the number nine position, which isn't an easy task to do for sure. Yeah, I think it was the perfect sign of Manchester United getting some true, true, true quality – on the pitch a lot because we can all say you know we like it's in our blood that we're supposed to hate Manchester United and hate all their players but you know we got to hold our hand up for Bruno Fernandes he is he is quite a signing that they've made back in January like I would take him on Liverpool in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. I don't care that he's played for Manchester United I might get a lot of a lot of slacking for that take but 
I don't know, Bruno Fernandez just changes the whole dynamic for United. And he goes in and even when he's playing in a lineup with like, like I'm not sold on Marcus Rashford. I'm not sold on a lot of their other players. I really like Donny van der Beek, but he's just not that, that certain class level yet. But when he, when you put Edison Gavani who can link up with Bruno Fernandez and those two are just able to play off of each other. Like you just like saw what magic can take place. Yeah. Yeah. And Edison Cavani had a, phenomenal header that I was playing. I think it was 2-2 at the time, and he got up big for a header, and it just missed the post. And I was, at that time, I didn't think they were going to get a third one. That one almost went in, and I was like, ooh, I think it's coming. I think it's coming. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they make the comeback, and Cavani, after assisting Manu's first goal to make it 2-1, scores the second two, with the second one being in the 92nd minute um, to win 3-2. I mean, it was a heck of a comeback for this United squad. Yeah, and I and it's just a classic tale of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just pulling the ace out of his back pocket and saving his job again because you you have to imagine that we'd be right back onto the discussions of is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the man for the job for Manchester <laughs> United is uh, is Pochettino is he going to be knocking on the door come Christmas time for Manchester United position and it's and right when we were talking about Manchester United being in 13th, 14th place, like bottom half of the table, they're right up to eighth place now. And they get a couple more wins here and other people are dropping points. Like, and it's, it really is anybody's title for this season. It, it, it just seems to be that way. Like I keep, I'm waiting for a team to put a string of results together to go and um, make their position as we are the, we're the people that you need to take the title off of this season. Like it's been Ma- Liverpool and Manchester City the past couple of years. And I, I can't help but think that it's anybody's. And I- I'm not ruling out anybody this year. Yeah, I mean, I know if you ask one person what they'll say, and it's if you ask Jose Mourinho, if he clinched up the title with his 0-0 draw to Chelsea, he would say absolutely. Yeah, we can move into that one. Uh, they had the next game we were going to talk about was Obviously, the what you on paper you would look at as it should have been the biggest game this this match week, but it definitely kind of petered out. Thanks most in the part of Jose Mourinho and Tottenham. This game finishes up between Chelsea and Tottenham as a zero zero draw. Um, but I mean, were you really expecting anything else? Like every single time there's a big game and Jose Mourinho is on one side of the of the managerial box, like. You just know there's not going to be a high-scoring affair, unless you're Manchester United, of course, and, and it's 6-1. But I think that's an anomaly, that's safe to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is like – so, you know, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago when City played Liverpool, and it was just like neither of these teams wanted to lose this game. It kind of felt like that, but at the same time, I think it was Jose Mourinho really didn't want to lose this game. And he would take a, maybe a sneaky counterattack goal, and Chelsea did want to win, but they couldn't put the freaking ball on net. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very, very odd game, uh, but it's just so classic Jose Mourinho, just like you said. I mean, it was just a man. He knows how to get it done in the Premier League, and I'm so glad that I do not have to cheer for a team that he coaches because, goodness gracious, they can be just so boring. Um, and it was, and he's coaching a Spurs side that I think we were all pretty high on over the last few weeks. They've been putting some really good performances together. Son and Kane have looked absolutely electric up top. Uh, mm-hmm. things have been looking really good for them. They haven't had the injury problems that maybe other teams have been having. So they have this chance here. 
Uh, but then they come out and play like that, and you're like, I don't want this team to win the Premier League playing like this. Mostly because I just I don't know. like Jose Mourinho, but... It, it is, like, just... It does leave such a sour taste in your mouth, but, like, I mean, to be fair, there were a couple chances. It was it was two pretty good games by the goalkeepers and watch back, like, the highlights and everything, and uh, I'm glad Chelsea have a have a goalie now because it was just getting sad with Kepa in that, like, he... He is just atrocious, and he need, he needs to get out of the Premier League fast. But um, and with Mendy and Lloris and both between the sticks, like they both had pretty good games, keeping out some pretty great saves. Like there was one save Lloris had against your boy Mason Mount. He had a long shot that went just off of Lloris' fingertips and made it go wide instead of into the bottom corner. But um, yeah, I mean it's I mean everyone knows Josie's tactics. He if you can get a draw against the big teams and then you win against the bad teams, then you're going to be right in contention for most leagues of being up there for title contenders. And, and that you, it, you can't help but think that that was what his mindset was going into this game. If he, if he got a one nil, like, so be it. But he was, you, despite of what he was talking about in his halftime or his post-game match uh, interview, he was, um, you know, he's quite happy with the, with a nil nil result. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to give a shout-out to Pulisic. He got subbed on, and his beard is looking fire. I love Man. Pulisic's beard. I'm, <laughs> I'm bearish on it. I love it. Bullish. I'm bullish on it. Not bearish. Bullish on it. I'm bullish on the Just beard. He looks an absolute man rocket. <laughs> a man from our, uh, from our own state there. Represent America. I, just, I, I, I hope he can stay healthy. He's been one of these guys that... that uh... Like, he had a great project restart, but he's picked up a couple injuries at the beginning of the season, and you just hope that that's not really the what his career pans out to be. So keeping our fingers crossed is that he can that he can stay healthy. Yep. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. It would be a shame to waste such a good American talent and just get caught up in the, the injury cycle. It can happen to so many players. Yeah. Uh, this might be an inappropriate transition, but speaking of injuries... <laughs> Um, we had the Arsenal and Wolves game, and <laughs> that was just, an inappropriate transition. <laughs> <laughs> Still a good might, one. <laughs> might, might, might get canceled for that one, but <laughs> but, uh, but we got to start off by saying thoughts and prayers to Raúl Jiménez, our our neighbor from the south border in Mexico. He, oh man, him and uh, David Luiz early into this game, just like one of those freak injuries that. Honestly, it's surprised that it doesn't happen more often um, from a week-to-week standpoint. Where corner comes in strong, like a strong cross comes in, they're both going. To, Raul's trying to head it one way towards goal. David Luiz is trying to head it another way away from goal. They both miss the ball. The heads collide instead. And I think the the diagnosis actually for Raul Jimenez was a fractured skull, which I can't even Ugh. comprehend how bad that must hurt yeah i mean it it was uh it's just such an ugly injury and you just and i think you're totally right it's surprising that doesn't happen more um but goodness gracious when it happens i mean they they wouldn't even show a replay on the uh no on the peacock tv or was it on mc i don't i forget which one it was on but they wouldn't even show a replay of it it was so bad uh and it was just ugh. and when david louise was down that long and I mean, Raul Jimenez didn't move for like ten minutes. Like he wasn't even moving. Yeah, like he I was, was Nate Robinson or something. I was <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I was really at first. I was scared that it was like a freak, um, 
like uh, Shazier incident where the the spine had an injury. That's what I was really scared yeah. of at first. But the to me the fractured skull was a little bit of a relief because that feels like something you could you know you can come back from so, in your life and it's it doesn't have that spinal cord injury. Yeah, uh, of course, like Ryan Shazier from the Steelers, he like like just like what happens with football players sometimes NFL of course where they get those injuries where players aren't moving on the ground and more times than not, it's just one of those horrible scenarios where someone gets paralyzed in some parts of their body and, and their career's over. And so that is, I guess, one of the, the silver linings you can take from this uh, Raul Jimenez injury is that it wasn't the case for that. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go on a one-minute rant here. But you know what made me mad about this whole thing was you constantly see players – get fouled and go down and pretend to be hurt and roll around on the ground and get up and play the rest of the game and they're fine. And then injuries like this happen and they're actually serious and you feel terrible for the player. But I think everyone Mm -hmm. for maybe there's like a 20 or 30 second period where you don't know if the player is faking a gruesome injury or if they actually were gruesomely injured. And it's a high contact, really fast, quick paced sport. And it's just so sad that you have to like question whether players are actually injured or not when they go down. And I, I think it's just despicable that players do that. It's so sad. It is really annoying because like when you get the, like the random person, like I know my dad, especially like he, like he'll watch a random game and it happens every single game where someone will like flop and like roll in the ground. But like when you watch week in and week out, there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of instances in the game where, serious injuries could happen. Like if there's a slide tackle and someone's leg is planted into the ground and someone's studs go right into their shins, like that can just snap their leg in half. And that happens multiple times a game where there could be, if someone isn't quick enough with their feet can like have a broken leg or something. And uh, especially to call it back to the Liverpool Everton game where we could have had two people with straight up broken knees. Yeah. Like Virgil van Dyke, he has, gets a torn ACL and then Tiago almost gets his I don't know how he didn't break leg, leg amputated. Yeah. Like yeah. It's which is like, it's, it's good that the good thing about that was the challenge got a red card and the person was penalized for it. Like that that's what needs to happen so that players don't yeah. do things like this. Now obviously the Rahu Mendes thing is an example of one that's totally just two players going for the ball just happens wasn't anybody's fault. Um but yes, thoughts and prayers to him because it's just a just a terrible injury and it really sucks for him. Yeah. And and you can kind of see how Wolves kind of took that spirit with them and were like, all right, you know what, we're gonna win this one for Raul. And um somebody that we were talking about at the beginning of this season because he looked really, really good up against City when they played earlier in the season, but that Potence guy, the number ten for Wolves. Did you see his goal against Arsenal, the second goal, the winning goal? I don't know if I did, actually. It was so clean. It was so nice. It was like uh, there was kind of a loose ball in the Arsenal box, and he just comes sprinting across it, and he he just, like, gives it a little lift. Like he – the Arsenal defender, Gabriel, he's coming in. He's going in to slide it down, and Potence is running across, just takes the ball and does a cheeky little flip up. Just kick, like just kicks it right above his leg, runs past him, and just pounds it into the back of net. It was a really cheeky finish. I, I advise you go watch it. It's really cool, a goal. But um, I don't know. This Wolves team is fun to watch, but they're really inc- inconsistent this year. I hope they can put more um, 
uh, more performances together where they pick up more and more points and really challenge for uh, another European spot because I know they made a great run in the, in the Europa League last year. But um, I was – there's someone else on their team that I, I think Liverpool should be taking a look at is, um, is Neto, actually, the number seven. He's a really young – of course, he's a Portuguese player for them, uh, but they just seem to have all this talent for uh, from the Portuguese on their side. We've had good luck from Wolves. We've bought Jota from them, and we bought Robertson from them, so watch out. It could be the new Southampton. <laughs> we uh, we bought we bought Robertson from Hull. Oh, I got my orange teams mixed up. You're right. <laughs> Edit that out, Kyle. <laughs> Note that down for 44 minutes. Yeah. Max makes mistake. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that's all for early back game. But like, one of the last games that we we're really going to get dive into was kind of a a horrible beat if you happen to have the over for this game because this was like one of the most back and forth games of the weekend that just for some reason ends up in a one nil uh, victory for Leeds. Leeds uh, hosting Everton this past weekend, squeaking out the one nil result off of a beautiful goal from Rafinha in the in the seventy eighth minute there at the end. But uh, I don't know. I know, I know you just like kind of watched it back, but just one of those games where it was super back and forth, multiple opportunities for each team, multiple goals being called off for various reasons. But just an electric watch for the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, really excited. It was just such a good game, and maybe you. I think if you first game of the season, you would have picked this game. You could have looked at it and said, this is going to be an exciting game. And I think it probably really lived up to it in the last few weeks. Um, Everton has turned it around after their little drought with uh, Rickarlson out. He's finally back and playing well. Mm -hmm. Um, They seem to be kind of back to their early season form. And I think everyone had high hopes for Leeds coming in the Premier League this year. Uh, But this game, there were so many chances in this game. It was crazy. I think... I counted four or five goals that got called back, like you said, for a lot of them for offsides, and I, it, not they aren't awkward VAR offsides. They were, you know, a step or two offsides, good calls. Um, but it was just exciting. A lot of like goal line clearances, shots blocked by defenders on the line. Like it was just a really fun game to watch. Absolutely, um, and and you can always kind of expect that with Leeds. They're just one of those electric teams. I I, I know I made the comparison earlier in the year where they feel like they play the game as if someone's controlling them playing FIFA, like where you are just holding in the sprint button the entire time, (laughs) just pressing the guy with the ball at all times. If you don't have the ball, you go get it. And then you're just (laughs) sprinting up the field to go and try to score. And that's the kind of way they play. And I, and it's, it's almost a much must watch every single time they're playing. They're just so, so, so enjoyable. Yeah. Bielsa's boys, man. They're fun. They're a lot of fun to watch. High hopes for them. I, I hope they, Stay in the Premier League and and have a few have a few years up here and we can see what they can do. I know I a, feel with a little more money, you know. I know I feel so bad for their fans. For what eighteen years I with with um without being in the Premier League for eighteen years and the first year they're back in it and they're just an electric team to watch in the Premier League and uh, of course it's the the year of twenty twenty and the year of COVID and they don't have anybody there watching them. Yeah, we should say that they um. What the next the games coming up this weekend are gonna have? I think most teams qualify for the certain tier. You know, we're not British, so we don't know exactly how it all yeah. works. Um, but most teams are gonna be allowed to have two thousand fans. I imagine they're all home fans, right? I, I that I don't know. Um, but that'll be exciting. It'll be exciting to yeah. see some fans back in the stadium here. And you know, here in America, we have the NFL teams, and they can have. 
sometimes 20%, 15% capacity, whatever it is, you know, a few five or 10,000 fans can be in the games. And in, even though it's not full, it's nice to see people there cheering on the team in person. I think it's going to maybe make a little bit more of an impact. I know we've been talking a lot about, you know, does the home team really have the advantage that they used to have just because they don't have to travel. That's pretty much the only thing now it'll, it'll feel like the home team actually has some people there supporting them, which will be exciting. And you got to be happy for the yeah. club like Leeds who they'll finally be able to cheer their team on after such a long drought of not being the Premier League. They're finally going to be there cheering them on. And from what I've heard, the Leeds United fans are crazy and they have an awesome stadium and a great environment. So hoping that we get yeah. to see all the fans back soon enough. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll add, add to that. Um, so like you mentioned, England is broken up into tiers based off that. Like I know they don't have counties or whatever, but like the cities that they're in, they're broken up into tiers. And if you're in a certain tier, you're able to have more public restrictions or freedoms than others and go into certain like bars and restaurants and things where if you're in a higher tier that maybe you're not able to do so. Uh, and so with that, they're starting to bring back fans into the games, like you mentioned, and there's actually 10 teams in the Premier League that are able to have 2,000 fans in their stadiums. Unfortunately, Leeds is not one of those mm. teams because Manchester is in one of the high-risk tiers. Uh, so they're going to have to wait a little bit longer to be able to have their fans in, uh, in, in their home stadium. But those 10 teams are Arsenal, Brighton, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Everton, Fulham, Liverpool, Southampton, Tottenham, and West Ham. So really like the Merseyside teams, the London teams, and some of the Southern teams are all able to play in front of their, a couple of home fans for, for at least the near future. Hopefully we can start to get that number raised more and more because 2,000 fans is nice. It's better than zero, but uh, certainly, certainly not a significant number. Yes, so wear your masks, people, so we can watch the fans cheer people on. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but before we like, got after before we got into that, I was like, I was looking at the the table here, and I know we had two more games that we we wanted to, to tip our cap to, um, and one of those teams was West Ham. I was looking at the table here, giving a cheeky look. West Ham is at fifth place right now, seventeen points. They're four points off of the off the lead right now, and, and first place Liverpool and Tottenham are tied with twenty one points. West Ham at seventeen and fifth, fifth place only one point off the Champions League spot, and they're coming off of uh, off a some you could say that they're coming off a VAR victory because they got on the right side of that where they were in the last game of the match week or they're playing uh, Aston Villa and Ollie Watkins and and stoppage time gets. It's called off, and, and I think this was kind of the most controversial VAR calls on the weekend where Ollie Watkins goes and he's in stoppage time. It looks like he's getting fouled. Like, he has the defender's arms draped all over him, one arm around his neck, and, like, he is in the classic a centimeter offsides. Like, the two lines are touching. For some reason, the interpreter calls it offsides, but... I know there was a lot of uproar. I, I, I heard Gary Neville especially talk about this where that the VAR referee made a blatant mistake because he's looking for the one penalty of him being offsides, but he's blatantly missing the other penalty of the defender being draped all over him. But Ole Watkins goes and sticks into the back of the net. They think that they get a last-minute equalizer, saves himself a point, and VAR chops it off and hands the win to West Ham. Yeah, does it feel like every team is going to get 
one decision that gets them three points this year. I'm totally on the boat that it's going to happen to every team once. You don't think so? I mean, you can say that, and that's kind of what, and it's it's actually kind of funny because was it, this was what we were talking about before there was VAR, whenever there was like blatant mistakes in referees, if they called something offside that wasn't offsides, when we look back at it after the game, if there was like a penalty that wasn't a penalty after we go back and look at it after the game, there was all these, like people used to complain about referees making the wrong calls on the field. And then people were feeling hard done by because they were like, oh, these, these referees, like they're screwing us out of three points there or whatnot. And, uh, and, and then the whole, like the whole, every, the response to that was that everyone would say, well, you know, after the full 38 game season, you know, you'll get some that go your way and some that won't go your way. And we're saying the exact same thing with VAR. There was no improvement. Just more no arguing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, if there, we're still having these conversations, I got to say, I think I'd rather not have VAR than have VAR. And I, I, don't, I would be surprised if there was a ton of people that didn't agree with me there. I think most people agree with you. I'm not sure I agree with you, but I think, I think that's the general consensus. I think, yeah, I think there's I think a there's... good way to do VAR, but yeah. it's just whatever that's going on is just not the, not the way. It's almost like sometimes people get things wrong and they're, they get it so wrong, they end just totally pulling back on it instead of trying to learn and adjust on the fly. And with a, and with a long season that lasts so long and has a ton of money on the line realistically for all these teams, it's so hard to, in the middle of the season, start making adjustments and screw some teams over that were on the wrong decisions towards the beginning. But I think mm-hmm. that's the, how you would get to a better end product. Like like this this... 10 centimeter offline uh off offsides rule we're talking about it's like hey can we just make these adjustments because we know it's the better way to do it as we go i don't know i don't think they will but i think that would be the better way of doing it than pulling it back totally i i, I agree i 100 percent agree that how do we get back on var yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the freaking bastard always steals the show we, we gave it it's 10 minutes at the beginning of the yeah. show and now it's it's we're back onto it but i guess we should have mentioned ollie Watkins offsides prior to being 54 minutes in but whatever but uh, i mean but on topic of tipping our cap to west ham being fifth place um also wanted to um kind of tip our cap to the other person who got a result on the weekend and that was fulham knocked off leicester which was big i mean that's a is that their first win no second win um but taking off a big team, taking off the fourth place Leicester City is a big deal. And for Leicester, you had to come into that game thinking it was not a must win, but an easier win. One of the easier games on your schedule. And I think sometimes Premier League teams can do that when they go to a smaller, you know, a smaller side that's way down the table. They might not take them quite as seriously. And then the teams like that still have a lot of skill in the field and they can take points off good teams still. Yeah, certainly a game that Leicester would think they would go into and expect to win. Leicester sitting at fourth place right now, and even after the result, Fulham are sitting in 17th place. But Fulham pick up their second win of the season, and I got to say, it wasn't like the beginning of the year where you're looking at Fulham and saying, this could be, this is like the one of the worst Premier League teams I've ever seen. Because that's what people were saying about Fulham at the beginning of the year, but 
I was watching that game on Monday, and they looked quite good. They, I, I really liked a couple of their new signings that they had. Like they have um, Loftus Cheek from Chelsea, who's pretty good in the midfield. Mm-hmm. They have this Lookman guy who I, I think they picked up from Leipzig, who looks quite good. Um, so expecting for Fulham to have a bit of a cheeky, uh, cheeky decent campaign here, and uh, and I kind of expect them to stay up by the way that they looked uh, on Monday, especially. Yeah, there are definitely teams that look a lot worse than them in the Premier League. That's what I would say. Like, what the hell happened to Sheffield? What a bummer. Seriously, what a bummer. They were so fun last year. They were such a dark horse last year, and it just sucks when they just fall off a cliff. Just really terrible. But there's still a lot of the season left. (laughs) Can I say that? I don't know. There's 18 more match weeks. 28 more match weeks. I mean, there were 10 match weeks in. 30 there's so we're more than a fourth of the way through the season just considering this 38 match weeks they have one point <laughs> so you're they saying one point are you saying they're on track for four points is that what your math is telling you that is what my math is telling me is that they are projected for like if you want to get technical with it they're projected for less than four points 3.8 points um yeah and uh I don't know. I mean, and the, I'm I mean, taking it's just hard that. to say. I'm taking over yeah. three, 3.8 points. <laughs> we'll, we'll chalk you down for that. But I mean, they're already, they're already, I mean, they're, they're six points off of the relegation zone right now. Fulham, I said like earlier, was they're in 17th place with seven points. And I don't know. And I, even teams like, like Brighton is in 16th. And like you could, you expect these teams to pick up more points throughout the season. And the way Sheffield plays, I can't, expect them like them and Burnley are are set for relegation as it seems to me yeah it seems like it's going to be a fight between West Brom and Fulham for who's going to not go down with the other two yeah I mean and even West Brom can put the they've had some unlucky results like it's really just I mean I mean and and Burnley has a game in hand too and they have five points so I think it's really just one team that's clear and set for to go down and you can make a case for West Brom and Burnley but Really unfortunate to get just a, a textbook case of the second-year syndrome. Yeah, yeah. I really hope that Adam Alana can carry Brighton out of the relegation zone, which I think that team's good enough. They should be fine, but i like to see Adam yeah, my, uh, succeed. My 10th place finish for them is uh, is looking more and more like a cold take. <laughs> uh, they're only nine points off it right now, eight points off it. It's not bad. Yeah. They can do it. Yeah. All right, give me. Uh, oh. Is Sheffield United gonna get more than ten points this year? Let me see. I think what I need a yes or no right now. More than ten. Oh, one second. I wanna. I wanna oh give God. some context to this. Those points. So the fewest points in Premier League history is from Derby County in the two thousand seven two thousand eight campaign. They had eleven. So you're asking me is if Sheffield United are going to set a Premier League record of lowest points ever in a campaign, and I got to go with no. I, I, you have to think that Sean Dyche is going to be able to pick like up a couple wins throughout the season. Like they still got to they're like I don't know if they played Burnley yet this year or not. Um, so you think that they can get three points from there or something like that? Maybe, maybe pick up another cheeky win or something. I don't know. 
Rian Brewster is still getting worked into the team. Like he was pretty <laughs> good in the championship last year. Maybe he will. Maybe he can help them get some points. So I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out for for Sheffield United and say that they will get above ten points. Our Sheffield United listeners, you're gonna love that, Kyle. Yeah, big. I got a I got a lot of big following in Sheffield. <laughs> what about you? What are you saying? I think they'll be under ten points. <laughs> they look that bad. Put me down oh, for it man. right now. Oh man. Oh man, that's tough. And then we'll we'll close it out. Like I, I right off the cuff, since you put that on me, give me your top four prediction for the end of the season right now. Don't not, not in order, any not order, order, but who, not in any order. Not, not uh, in any order. No. Tottenham City, Liverpool, Chelsea. No hot take. <sighs> Go ahead. <sighs> it's hard to stray away from those four. It's definitely got to be Tottenham, Liverpool, and Chelsea for me. Uh, <laughs> You're such a city yeah, hater. <laughs> I am such a city hater. I hate them so much. <laughs> yeah, I get. I, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with you. That sucks, but you hard never, to say that though. You're only a city hater because you haven't seen Hep's shiny bald head in person. I was way up in the stands and I could see it shining from up there. It was a beautiful sight. Yeah, that maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else for this week? I'm content. VAR talk is we've talked about VAR enough. I need a cider. Yeah. Hopefully, James Milner's outburst can uh, can uh, push it in the right direction. Mister Industrial, you got hurt. Yeah, that's true. Couldn't believe it. So we can't put him in. Anything goal can happen. In, anything can happen in 2020. <laughs> but uh, but of course, we'll be back. Oh, as always, even though we weren't there this past Friday, but we'll we'll I'll make sure we're back this Friday for our prem pick set for match week 11. And so we'll see you there. Thanks for tuning into this review session with your boys, me and Max. Woo!